Okay, now this uh, chapter opened with the Beatitudes in verses 1 through 12, where Jesus describes the person whom God blesses. And then, last week, we covered the next section where Jesus exhorts us to be salt and light in its full, fullest power so that it can, we can penetrate society and people will praise God when they see our good works. And we ended last week at verse 16. Now Jesus is going to deal with the place of the law, the Old Testament law, in the life of uh, his followers, especially in light of the arrival of the kingdom of God. The, the place of the Old Testament law in the life of his disciples, kingdom citizens. And I want you to look at verse 17. Look what he says. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets represent the Old Testament scripture. Now, why do you feel that Jesus had to make this statement? Now read it again to yourself. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. Why would he have to make that statement? Well, obviously because some people were thinking <laughs> that he had come to destroy the law and the prophets. They accused Jesus, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, accused Jesus of breaking the law. He does, he works on the Sabbath. He pulls corn up on the Sabbath. He he doesn't wash his hands the way the law prescribes. Uh, he's a lawbreaker. He's abolished or destroyed the law. And so Jesus is having to uh, counter that. And he's going to reaffirm that the law has a place in the life of believers. Now you see how you can just read a scripture like that and read right over something like that. Because you don't ask the question, why would Jesus have to make this statement? It's because many people are thinking that he has come to destroy the law. Look what he says. I did not come to destroy, meaning the law, but to fulfill. Now, we'd have to ask another question. If I were in my class at the college, I'd say, well, what kind of questions would I ask of that second phrase? Why did he have to fulfill it? What does that mean? Wouldn't you have to say, well, what does the word fulfill mean? Why would he have to fulfill it? So, there's a perception out there that Jesus has come to destroy the law and the prophets, and he says, your perception is wrong. No, I haven't come to destroy it. I have come to what? Fulfill it. How does he fulfill it? They're accusing him of breaking it. How does he fulfill it? He fulfills it by keeping the law as God intended for the law to be kept. He gives the law, uh, he keeps the law to its fullest measure. He fills it up to the fullest measure. These people are looking at the law uh, on a surface. They look at, at, at keeping the law, just doing outward things. Jesus says the law is much more than that. It's fuller than that. I have come to keep it and teach its deeper and its fuller meaning, to fill it up to its full measure, just as God intended. So, what Jesus, the only thing Jesus has come to destroy 
But what has Jesus come to destroy? That's true. He's come to destroy sin. In this context, he's come to destroy their false understanding of the law. The way they understand the law is they're cheapening the law. They're not giving it, it its fullest due. They have a misconception of how the law is to be kept. Jesus has come to fill it to its fullest measure and to teach others to do that. The law is so much richer than the scribes and the Pharisees and even the Sadducees are teaching. So he's going to show how the law should be kept to its fullest. Now, look at he speaks about the law's duration. Verse 18. In fact, he's going to show you that the law can't be destroyed. No one can destroy the law. That's what he said. For assuredly, I say to you, though heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, meaning of the law, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So what he's saying is, not only have I not come to destroy the law, the law can't be destroyed. Not one jot, not one tittle of that law will pass away. Until heaven and earth passes away. And so he's linking the, the duration of the law to the end times. There will come a time when heaven and earth passes away, won't there? When will that be? Well, it hadn't happened yet. So I guess the law is still in effect in its true meaning. There will come a time when the law will pass away, but that's not going to happen until eternity happens. When heaven and earth passes away. All the elements are destroyed, as it talked about in, in uh, Second Peter. He says not one jot. And when he uses the, the in the Greek, it's the uh, iota, which is the smallest letter in the Greek language. In the Hebrew, it's the smallest letter as well. He's describing the smallest letter in the Hebrew and Greek alphabets. He says not even one letter of the law will be destroyed. Not even one little mark. Not one little tittle. Just the smallest little mark that you can make. little accent type mark. Not one dot over an I will be destroyed in the law, if you want to put it that way. Not one crossing of the T will ever be destroyed in the law. The law remains intact. It will remain intact and it's in duration all the way into the time that heaven and earth passes away. And so he's giving it what we call an eschatological uh, interpretation that's going to be around for a long time. So that's what he's saying. <clears throat> So for assuredly, verse 18, I say to you, that heaven and earth, uh, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law. Look at this. Till all is fulfilled. Till all is fulfilled. Now that's a very difficult statement. What does it mean? Till Jesus fulfills the law? Um, that he has to do all that the Old Testament says about the Messiah? Could mean that. But in the context, it seems to me that the law will not pass away until 
it's understood and filled up to its fullest measure. People are keeping it the way it's supposed to be kept, to its fullest measure, not on a, in a surface way. And no Jesus, no Jew of Jesus' day observed the law that way. So what Jesus is doing when he's coming on the scene, he is accepting the law as valid. He's accepting the law as uh, essential for his believers even in this age. But he is going to define it in a fuller way than the Jews of his day did. He's going to, in a sense, reinterpret the law. Now, he's going to tell us why it's important to keep the law accurately. Okay? Accurately. Now, these first two verses, 17 and 18, are the basis for everything that's going to be said now from verses 19 and onward. Okay? So look what he says. The importance of keeping the law accurately and the importance of teaching the law to others accurately. Okay? Look what he says. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of God. Now, he's talking about God's people. Okay? Who among God's people uh, breaks the least of the law or teaches others to break it shall be least in the kingdom of God. Now, he's going to talk about two activities here. The first activity is breaking the law. Breaking the law. Okay? The second activity is teaching men to break the law. And then there's a result of that. Okay? So let's look at that. Activity number one, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments in the way they should be understood. Not the way that you teach it, but the way they should be understood. Okay? Uh, very interesting, by the way. Is that word destroy up in verse 17? Think not that I came to destroy or abolish the law. And look in verse 19. Whosoever breaks the law, the word destroy or abolish and the word break come from the exact same Greek root word. So Jesus says, I'm not the one that's breaking the law. I keep the law the way it's intended. But there are some who do break the law. And it's not me. So guess who it is? It's these other teachers of the law that are breaking the law. And he says, if these people break even the least of the commandments, and then look what? And teaches men to do so. Teaches men to do so. It's not that you just break it, but then you break it and then you teach others to break the law. That person shall be least in the kingdom of God. So it is possible to enter the kingdom of God and break the law, isn't it? Would you agree with that? You'll be what in the kingdom of God? Least. But are you in the kingdom of God? Yes. So now Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now it is possible to take the law just at the surface, at its surface value, and break it. That's the way you break it in the least. And you can teach other people to do that. And by the way, there were the Jewish people divided the law into least lesser laws and greater laws. 
There were 613 laws. Not all of them were equal, <laughs> according to Jewish tradition. For example, washing your hands was one law, but guess what? That wasn't quite as big a law as what? Yeah, murder, that's right. So there would be greater laws than least laws. Well, you can interpret the law incorrectly regarding the least of the laws and teach other people to, to, to keep it in the wrong way, thus they're breaking it. And if you do that, you're least in the kingdom of God. And then look what he says at the end of verse 19. But, by contrast, whoever does and teaches them, meaning to keep the law correctly, shall be great in the kingdom of God. So here we see two people in the kingdom of God, two people who are teachers, one who is teaching wrongly and telling the people to break the law, they will be least in the kingdom of God, and then there are those who are teaching it correctly and telling people to keep it, and they will be great in the kingdom of God. So we see gradations here that Jesus has regarding the kingdom. Now look at verse 20. Now he's going to move to another situation. Now he's talking to his disciples there. Talking to his disciples. By the way, the law was a big issue in the early church. Just throw this out. <clears throat> Uh, there was a big controversy. Well, do Gentiles have to keep the law? Do you know there was a great big summit conference in Acts 15 over the issue of do Gentiles have to keep the law? Do you remember what the, the conclusion was? James, the half-brother of Jesus, made the final decision. He says it's important that Gentiles keep at least three of the laws. <laughs> One is don't eat things that are strangled. And he gives up these different things. And he says they have to do that. So this whole issue of law was a big controversy. And Jesus said, you know, you can misinterpret and teach it wrongly with a good heart. And uh, you'll make it into the kingdom, but you'll be least. If you do it rightly, you'll be greatest. But now look what he does in verse 20. Very interesting. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, he's talking to his disciples there at the mount exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means, what? Enter the kingdom of God. Ah, the first group enters, but they can be least or greatest, but the second group, what? They don't get in. They don't enter. What do you have to do to enter? Your righteousness has to exceed... <coughs> That of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the interpreters of the law. <laughs> if you wanted to know what the law meant, guess who you'd go to? A scribe. Some of your Bibles say lawyers. It's not talking about modern day attorneys. It's people who were experts in the law, thus they were lawyers or scribes. And they were the official interpreters of the law. But guess what they were doing? They were interpreting it totally wrong. And he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to exceed? We think that means to exceed. I guess that means to do more, doesn't it? Exceed? You exceed, exceed the speed limit, you're doing more than the speed limit. 
So if you expect to enter the kingdom of God, what do you have to do? Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Hey, the scribes and Pharisees kept the law 110%. How can you exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Look, they kept all the laws. They tithed of even cumin and thyme and little everything they owned. They said, well, here I got six sprigs of, uh, or ten sprigs of paprika here. One for the Lord. That's they went down that to that much. Now how and they they fasted on you know, Wednesdays and Fridays and they did all these things. How in the world are you going to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? They kept the letter of the law. Look, they kept the letter of the law. They kept the letter of the law. How do you exceed keeping the letter of the law? You have a guess? You keep what? The spirit of the law. That's the rest of this passage. See, the scribes and Pharisees kept the letter of the law. Don't work on Sabbath. Did Jesus ever work on Sabbath? Yeah, they accused him of healing on the Sabbath. That's work. Remember that? They kept the letter of the law. They said Jesus was a lawbreaker. He was breaking it. He was abolishing it. He was destroying it. They washed their hands. Remember, they accused Jesus. You don't even wash your hands. You break the law. They kept the letter of the law and they didn't see Jesus keeping the law. They kept all these outward rituals. It's possible that Jesus didn't even go to the Passover some years. There's no indication that he went to three different Passovers in his three years of life. He was ministering up in Galilee for a long while. We don't even know if he kept all the, the rituals that the law demanded. So, what does it mean to exceed? What's the more? What, does, what is it that Jesus comes to fill up to the fullest measure? How is he filling the law up to the fullest measure? He's doing it by putting the emphasis on inner motives. And their emphasis is on outer motions. Their emphasis is on doing the rituals Jesus' emphasis is on doing what is right in the circumstances. They were concerned with ceremony. He was concerned with the circumstances in which the law was kept. And then he interpreted the law based on those circumstances and the spirit of the law. This is the deeper meaning of the law. This is what it means to exceed righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. In this context, in this context, Now he gives us the deeper meaning of the law. He says, well, what does it mean to keep the law according to the Spirit? He says, well, let me show you what it means, okay? And what Jesus does, so let me show you what he, he says. Look at verse 21. You've heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder. Look at verse 22. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother commits murder. Ah, notice that. You heard it said of old, that's how they talk about the law, but what? I say to you, you see that? Jesus gives what we're going to call six antitheses. What the scribes said about the law, what he says about the law. 
what Moses said about the law, what Jesus says about the law. Okay? Six of them. Let me show them to you. Number one is verses 21 and 22 that I just showed you. You've heard it said of old, verse 22, but I say to you. That's the first antithesis. Look at the second antithesis, verse 27. You heard it said of old, look at verse 28, but I say unto you. You see that? That's an antithesis. They have a thesis regarding the law. Jesus has an antithesis. And Jesus is right. They're wrong. Jesus gives the meaning of the law. Okay, look at the third one, verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, look at verse 32, but I said. You see that? Now look at the next one, verse 33. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, look at verse 34, what I say to you. Look at verse 38. You've heard it said, look at verse 39, but I tell you. Look at verse 43. You've heard it said, look at verse 44, what I say to you. You see that? Once you see the pattern, you understand the teaching. Okay? Now, the first two antitheses deal with murder and adultery. Okay? In the first one, murder, verse 21, you heard it said of old, you shall not murder. But then in verse 22, I say to you, whosoever is angry at his brother is in danger of breaking the commandment. So notice, they are talking about the outward form of murder. Jesus is talking about what? The inner. Okay? Now on adultery, down in verse 27, you heard it said, whoever commits adultery, right? You should not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lusts after a woman, what? In the heart, commits adultery. The outer versus the inner. You see that? This harkens back to the Beatitudes. This section is all, you know, one section. We're reading it in parts. When Jesus sat on the mountain, he taught it. He taught it in ten minutes in one, one sitting. I'm teaching it in ten hours. I'm taking it in parts. This harkens back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure, what? For they shall see the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the inner motives. They're talking about outward motions, going through the motions. God's not happy with your outward motions. Without the right attitude, without the right motives, without the right heart. I mean, that's what the book of Malachi is all about. The Israelites, after the captivity, came back into their own country. They set up the temple again. They reinstituted the law and the sacrifices. And what would they do? They would go and they would uh, sacrifice a one-eyed, one-legged lamb to God. So they were supposed to give him the best, but they gave him the least. And God says, I'm not interested in you going through the motions. Look what you tried to do. You tried to cheat me. You have greed in your heart. You wanted that for yourself. See, God's interested in the heart. He says he desires mercy rather than sacrifice. You can give a tithe to the church and begrudgingly give it. How much do you think that counts toward righteousness? 
You see, the heart has to match the action. So let's look at this first, the antithesis. Let's look at murder. Okay? So look at verse 21. You've heard it said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Who said that, by the way, to those of old? Moses. Moses. Next verse, Jesus. But I say to you, notice Jesus is putting himself in contrast to Moses. We don't like that. We want everything to jive. We like to harmonize everything. But remember what John said in his gospel? He said, the law came by Moses. But grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. The law in its outward form is just a ritual. I mean, it's significant. It's important that you do not kill people. But there is, that law is given for the purpose of grace, and there's a truth that's associated with the law that's deeper than what's on the surface. So he said, you've heard it said of old, in the old days, we could even say in the old dispensation. Uh, the law for Israel is different for the law for those that are in the kingdom now. You've heard it said by previous generations, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. And whosoever murders will be in danger of judgment. The word judgment here means the Jewish court system. If you murder someone today, guess what we're going to do? We're going to arrest you and take you to the court system. You're going to go through the court system. That's what they did. You murdered... Uh, you, you committed murder in the Old Testament times, you were brought before the courts. You would get the full punishment, the full extent of the law. Okay. Verse 22, But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, and some translations say, without a cause, and you can't be angry with the righteous cause. There's a righteous anger. But in most translations, the phrase without a cause is not in there, but it doesn't matter. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, that's an inward thing. This is Jesus' antithesis. Shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a difference between going to the court system and what? The judgment. God's judgment. You see, there's a difference. You see how Jesus actually... Gives you the deeper meaning. That word angry means enraged. In other words, if you could kill him and get away with it, you would. <clears throat> so, this is the fulfillment of the law. This is filling the law up to its full measure. This is what the law really means. If you just look at the law from an outward perspective, that just means murder as if taking a person's life, you really have you've cheapened the law. You only have half the law, half its meaning. It's bigger than that. Does that make sense? That's how Jesus is interpreting it. And then he says this, Whoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. The word reka is an Aramaic word. Jews spoke Aramaic. 
And uh, many of them did. And the word Eureka is like a cuss word. Uh, but it doesn't mean just cussing at your brother. It's, it's putting him down. Uh, some commentators say blockhead, dummy, you know. Uh, it's, it's more than that. <laughs> uh, it is speaking about somebody contemptuously and slanderously. Hey, can you get away with slander in this country? You'd be taken to the courts if you commit slander, wouldn't you? That's talking about slander. That's talking about impugning someone's reputation, destroying his character. He says, if you do that, look what happens. In the middle of 22. Danger of the council. What council? Sanhedrin. You'll be taken to the Supreme Court for that. Then look what he says. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of what? Hellfire. That's a different judgment. It's one thing to stand before the Sanhedrin, but guess what? It's another thing to stand before God and experience His judgment, hellfire. Now, the word thou fool is uh, from a Greek word morose. And... Uh, from which we get our word moron. And it's... So sometimes the uh, commentators say, but if you call somebody a moron or an idiot, you're going to stand and be judged by God. You're going to face hell. Uh, you think it mean that? We'd all be in hell, wouldn't we? <laughs> uh, I like the New King James translation because it uses the word fool. And uh, it gives you a, a little better understanding. It's talking about uh, the way the Old Testament talks about a fool of said in his heart there is no God. The fool was the person who was outside the, the, uh, the boundaries of God's people. Maybe they've chosen to go out there and abandon God totally, become an atheist or become an idol worshiper or, or whatever. But what he's talking about here is that you have said to that person, You've condemned the person, basically. Uh, you said you're, this is a. He, you start passing her, but she's lost. She's not a Christian. She's lost. She's like a fool. Says there is no God. You know, she has no relationship with God. It's uh, talking about a person's, uh, in the sense that they're uh, that they are outside the uh, the confines or the boundaries of of God's people. He said, when you start passing those kind of rumors, the one thing to to uh, impugn a person's character. It's another thing to put them outside the boundaries of God's people. Condemning them. He said, then you are in danger of hellfire. And the words get him. And uh, every Jew that heard Jesus speak this Sermon on the Mount knew that Gehenna was the valley south of Jerusalem where the garbage was burned continuously. Never the fire never went out. The smoldering never went out. It was the place in the Old Testament time where the Canaanites came and sacrificed their little babies to the god Moloch. Because Moloch demanded death of your firstborn child. And it became a symbol for God's judgment, hellfire. And Jesus said, you know, it's one thing to impugn somebody's character. You'll be brought to court for that. 
that you condemn somebody and put them outside the bounds of God's people when that's not the truth and he knows. You'll face hellfire for that. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus elevates the law. He fills it to its fullest meaning. He comes to fulfill the law. Teach others what it really means. He gives you the deeper meaning of the law, doesn't he? Now isn't it interesting that Jesus was not a literalist? He was not a literalist. He said there is a meaning behind the outward literal meaning of the law. We'd say today Jesus was not a fundamentalist in the sense of being bound by these small categories. Jesus was not a literalist. He said, Thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not kill, means something far greater than the literal meaning. Yes, does it have a literal meaning? Yes. But is there a fuller meaning? Yes. And if you don't teach the full meaning of it, if you don't interpret the Scripture correctly, and you and break the Scriptures, and teach others to break it too, you won't enter the kingdom of God. This is pretty serious stuff, isn't it? So we have to get it right. I'm afraid there are going to be many preachers, seminary professors, Sunday school teachers, who are either going to be least in the kingdom when they think they're so when they have such a high opinion of themselves. Or they may miss the kingdom altogether. It's a pretty scary thought. Teachers have a responsibility far greater than the people who sit in the pews. One day they're going to stand up and give an account to God, not only for their own lives, but for all the people that they've influenced. It's frightening when you think of that. Now, look at verse 23. Jesus is going to illustrate this point. Okay? You say, well, what does that mean? Okay, well, he says, let me show you what it means. I'm going to drive this point home. Verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is now going to show you the importance of having right relationships with people, not condemning them and not killing them and not putting them outside of God's family and not impugning their character. He's going to show you the importance of having a right relationship amongst disciples, amongst believers. Okay? Now here's the setting. The setting is the temple. Here's the situation. It's time to come and offer your sin offering at the temple your peace offering at the temple. You're bringing it to the priest to offer it. You're offering this to God. He says that gift is not acceptable to God until you first get things right with your brother. Wow. Do you see that? Do you see the implications of this? Your gift, your worship, because these gifts were worship. Your worship to God is unacceptable until you get right with your brother. Before you can be reconciled to God, guess what you must be? 
reconciled to your brother. That's how it is within the family of God. Don't think you can hate each other. Don't think you can be passing rumors about each other in this room or in this church or among the Christian body and come to church and worship God and He accepts it. Our vertical relationship with God is related to our horizontal relationship with each other. Now the Pharisees and the scribes, they said, you know, the really important thing is just that you get that gift on that altar. Make sure you get that lamb in the hand of the priest so he can sacrifice it. Jesus said, that's not the important thing. See, all you're dealing with is the outward. Your heart's not right. No, God desires mercy. He desires to see forgiveness. He desires to see a right relationship with each other. Not the sacrifice itself. And Matthew is going to mention that two other times. That God desires mercy rather than sacrifice. Or mercy more than sacrifice. Two other times in this gospel. So there's the first illustration of right relationships. Now look at the second illustration that Jesus gives. Look at verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly. Notice he's saying don't be on the outs. While you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Uh, this is a situation where there are two believers. Uh, one believer probably owes the other money. said, I'll pay you next week. <laughs> and he doesn't. Maybe he's made a business transaction. And there's accounts to be settled. He says, look, go to the brother and work it out. You don't want to have a bad relationship with him. When you're walking down the street, you have to avoid him. Go work it out. Maybe you can't pay the full thing right now, but guess what? You can work it out, can't you? Aren't you both brothers? Be reconciled. Get this thing worked out. Because if you don't, what's going to happen? You're going to go. To, you're going to end up in court, and the believer shouldn't take another believer to court, and you're going to end up in prison. Look at verse 26. He says, "Assuredly I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you pay the last red dime, last red penny." Which. Uh, In this case, a penny was how much you made in one day. But the wording is actually one sixty-fourth of a penny in this passage. Now how much you make in a day divided by eight would be how much you make in an hour. That would be an eighth. This is one sixty-fourth of a penny. Uh, this would be how much you make in 10 minutes. You're going to pay the last dime you owe him the last 10 minutes worth of your salary. You're not going to get away with it. So guess what you should do? You should be reconciled to your brother. Otherwise, you start your adversaries. And you start hating each other. And that is breaking the sixth commandment. That's murder in your heart. He could kill you. 
If you can get away with it, but you know what he's going to end up doing? He'll have you arrested and throwing you in jail. He'll get his last red dime out of you. And thus the sixth commandment is now broken. So, what Jesus is telling us is how, among God's people, we are to handle these affairs and how that relates to the spirit of the law. The fuller meaning of the law. The law, when it's interpreted correctly, gives us ethical and moral guidelines how to live as believers. When it's corrected, interpreted incorrectly and it's just the surface, well, you can get away with murder, can't you? At least in your heart. <laughs> the Pharisee said, Jesus, you're lax. You don't wash your hands. You work on the Sabbath. You break the law. And Jesus said, you're the ones that are breaking the law, but you really don't understand it. You're breaking it, well, not outwardly, but you certainly are breaking the spirit of the law you're breaking the law as it was really intended to be interpreted. And so, if you would summarize this, Jesus would say this. Blessed and pure in heart. Theirs is the kingdom of God. See how important it is to really study a text? Often it's not what we think it means. Because we take a little passage and say, let's talk about murder today. And then we, we don't put it in the bigger context of an entire sermon that Jesus is delivering. But when we do that, we see what it means. Next week, we'll go to the uh, second law that Jesus talks about. The law of adultery and relationship of marriage. Lord, we thank you that we can uh, look at a text like this. And, and we stand convicted, everyone in this room, that we've other, we uh, we come into a worship service during our age, a worship service as it's conducted, in, and uh, we go through the motions, very much like the scribes and Pharisees. We give the offering, we sing the songs, listen to the sermon, read the scriptures, hear the prayers, and yet our heart is far, far, far from. And we think we've fulfilled an obligation, but we have not really been in your presence. We have not, we don't even sense your presence in these worship services sometimes. Because our hearts are not right with you, and our hearts are not right with each other. Oh Lord, help us to, to seriously consider these admonitions that our Lord gave us. Help us to live like kingdom citizens according to these ethical and moral standards. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.